Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey everybody, welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR, your host David Gill here. I hope everybody's having a great week. I certainly am. And before we get into the topic of the day, innovation versus globalization and the success trap that so many companies fall into once they have success on their initial innovations. Uh, But anyways, we'll get into that in just a moment. I wanted to say real quick, a huge thank you to all of um, the support that we've gotten from you guys in the last week. And I mean, uh, before that too, but last week, um, we were actually able to crack the top 10 on iTunes's uh, business charts for podcasts. So we were the we were in the top 10 most uh, listened to business podcasts last week. So I very, very much appreciate that. Uh, it's a ton of support from all you guys. We got a, a lot of new listeners um, from that, obviously. So if you're if you found us through the top charts on iTunes, Welcome. I uh, hope you enjoy your stay. But yeah, overall, just thank you so much for your guys' help. And uh, yeah, just keep you know sp- spreading the word on the podcast if you do enjoy it. Uh, we put a lot of work into these. We don't put any ads on them. Uh, all we ask for is your uh, listenership and that you share it if you enjoy it. But anyways, uh, that's all I had to say about that. Real quick, Marissa did an interview with a surgeon on Thursday, yeah, Thursday, um, yeah, Thursday, sorry, I was thinking about it, um, and I, I'm gonna be honest with you, so I'm not someone who really cares that much about the medical field or, uh, things like that, I mean, I, I, I do, enjoy, I do enjoy, uh, learning about health and, and, um, wellness and, and things of that nature, but not so much on the actual medical field what it takes to become a doctor or stuff like that that's not my thing i don't have any interest in becoming a doctor or anything like that but i really really enjoyed uh that interview with uh dr dylan jacobus he really went in depth on what it what it takes to be a surgeon how to deal with incredibly long hours i mean he was talking about how he gets up at 4 a.m and often does not get home to his wife until nine or ten o'clock at night and how they deal with that in their relationship, how he deals with it mentally, how he, you know, keeps his energy and motivation going, all types of things like that. Um, it, it was really, it was a really good listen for people in the medical field or just businesses or entrepreneurs as well. I, I really enjoyed it despite me not having much interest in his actual field. And I promise you, I am not just saying that because uh, it's our podcast. I wouldn't uh, be giving the glowing recommendation uh, if it weren't true. So, anyways, go check it out if you have if it sounds uh, like it would interest you. Let's get into innovation versus globalization. You ain't got no money. I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. If you break businesses down to their core fundamentals, there are only ever two types of businesses in the world and that's uh, businesses that innovate and businesses that globalize or um, and I'll get into a more specific definition in a second but 
you can you can break business down further, right? You can say uh, business to business, uh, business to consumer, and from there, you know, business to consumer, you could say, well, there's consumer services and consumer products, whatever, and then you could say there's business services and business products, and you can keep going down further and further and further, but at the very highest level, the only two types of businesses are ones that are innovative, as in they're creating a new solution that does not currently exist, whether it's in product form or service form, um, and it can be for business or consumer, right? Just a new solution that doesn't exist, typically far better. Uh, you know, normally when you talk about successful companies, it's because they came with a solution that was far better than what was than what already existed, not just a slight iteration, a slight improvement. That's an innovative business. And then there's a uh, what I call expansionist or globalization business. What I mean by that is, for example, uh, a lot of Chinese companies, I'm going to get into this uh, a little deeper on China in a second, but uh, a lot of Chinese companies, right? There's a lot of Chinese smartphone makers. And if you look at a lot of their smartphones, quite frankly, they are just complete ripoffs of iPhones and Samsungs. Uh, they just take their designs, modify them slightly, slap their logo on it and sell it in China. They're not innovative. They just copy what works and what has been successful elsewhere in the world. So that's an example of a globalization business. But they, they are successful, a lot of them, right? They still make billions of dollars because while uh, smartphones were readily available in the U.S. and in Europe and <clears throat> I guess like all of North America, they were not readily available in China. I'm talking, you know, years ago. Uh, and so there was a market opportunity. And so Chinese uh, tech companies took took advantage of that opportunity, basically. So that's an example of uh, globalization versus innovation or expansionist versus innovative. Um, but the reason I say expansionist is because globalization refers to, obviously, uh, you know, selling the same product, but in a new geographic region. Um, but you can also do it in new uh, demographics, right? So I'll give an example is like uh, personal care products, a lot of new, and most of the innovation you see in personal care products, very often are on, you know, women, especially younger women's personal care, uh, because that is the market that is willing to try new items the most and spend a little more on something that might uh work whatever you know what i mean um so most often when you when there's new innovations in the personal care space they are first marketed and sold to younger women and then once they are proven successful either that same company often or what happens a lot of times is another company uh, will see the success of that new personal care product that's being marketed to younger women and either go you know broad spectrum go to women of all ages or in a lot of cases you know uh, if it's being marketed to women maybe the packaging is like a, a lime green and white or something or maybe even they go even further uh, with a pink package, right? But then the new company will come in and, you know, take essentially the same product, repackage it with, you know, orange and black and change the name to something a little more uh, male-friendly and then sell it to men. It's the same exact product. The company isn't innovating on anything. 
all they're doing is selling it to a new market, right? In this case, it's instead of taking something from the US and selling it in China, they're just taking it from one demographic market and selling it in another, but they're not actually improving on the product or the technology. It's not technically a technology in this case, but you get my point. Um, so that's that, so that's what I would call an expansionist business, a company that takes something that already exists in one market and simply sells it in another market with maybe a slight modification, iteration, whatever. Now, expansionist businesses uh, globally are much more popular, uh, much more common than innovative businesses. And it makes sense, right? You know, why go create something new when you can take what something that already exists and it has proven its success and proven its demand and you don't have to spend any money developing the technology or whatever the product is you can simply take it and just sell it in a market that currently isn't being supplied with that product so uh, it's much more popular because it's easier quite frankly to create one of those businesses but it's easier in the sense of coming with a product that you know is going to be successful the downside is you're going to have a lot of competition because a lot of people are going to realize hey i can do the same thing that this guy's doing i can just copy the product and sell it over here so it's not going to be easy in the sense of competition but it's easy in the sense of you don't have to uh, do any of the brain work yourself of coming up with the product and developing the product and so um, and often it, it makes sense that for example China the reason that China is not innovative and all their big tech companies are not innovative um, is because they don't really need to right so china most of their big tech companies benefit from having a central power uh, that blocks companies from the outside world succeeding in china for example china blocked google which allowed baidu uh, which is china's biggest search engine um, to succeed in china there's no reason that baidu should have ever beaten google in a free market but because google was banned in china well that left a major void and baidu was able to fill it and so the flow of tech very much goes from the u.s north america to the rest of the world and you know europe has some innovations but at a much lower rate than the u.s uh and almost no technology really has come from china to the u.s and it's a clear sign that china's big tech companies are expansionist slash globalization companies not innovative ones and so what i mean when i say that it's out of necessity well when you're china and for the last couple decades you've been playing catch up to the u.s and the rest of the world you know it doesn't make sense to allocate allocate resources to innovating on um, product new new products from the U.S. or making a product that's better than what already exists in the U.S. because your country doesn't have what already exists in the U.S. If that makes sense, so it doesn't make sense to try to compete and make a better smartphone than what Apple is already making when your country doesn't even have phones that are as good as what Apple or Samsung or whoever are already making. So it's better to just copy them and sell them in China because 
it's going to cost you a lot less in development, but you know that you're going to get the same level of success because it's already been proven in other markets. It, so hopefully that makes sense as to why it's not. I'm not saying that you know, you know, China isn't uh, doesn't lack innovation because they're uh, you know dumb or lazy or anything like that. That's not why. It's just incentives. You know, you have no incentive to innovate when your economy and your overall uh, society is not as technologically developed as the rest of the world. So you have to catch up first before you can uh, start innovating on the latest and greatest tech. But the point is, China very much is now uh, caught up to the rest of the world for the most part. Obviously, their uh, economy is still developing and the Per, per capita income and per capita GDP is still uh, relatively low compared to the U.S. But if you look at the technology available in China, there's internet almost everywhere, especially in the major cities. Uh, there's smartphones everywhere. There's a, you know that it's it's very very similar to the U.S. They have their own Amazon. They have their own, in, in the case of Alibaba and JD.com, they have their own Google and Baidu. They have their own uh, Uber and ZDChang. Uh, so they have all these companies that the U.S. has that were copies, essentially. And now it's a question of Will they begin to innovate now that they've actually caught up? Now that they have the incentive to innovate and just copying the U.S. is not going to be nearly as sound of a strategy anymore. Now, WeChat is one example of innovation, but it has yet to show if it can succeed outside of China and Southeast Asia. Um, WeChat, for those who don't know, is a messenger uh, application. So kind of think like Facebook Messenger, if you've ever used that. In China, people use WeChat for everything. So imagine using Facebook Messenger uh, for payments, right? When you go to the store, you don't even you know bring your wallet. You just bring your phone with WeChat, which has WePay on it. And then you just scan your phone, kind of like Apple Pay. And you use that for everything. That is the most common form of payment in the big cities in China. It's if you pull out a credit card to pay in China, it's, you know how, uh, you know, when you're waiting in line and you see someone pull out cash and try to get change or something and you kind of, think, you know, roll your eyes low in your head like, oh, come on, man, hurry it up. In China, they look at you the same way if you use a credit card or debit card uh, because it's just slower than having to scan your phone, right? You have to put in the chip, you got to do the PIN, you got to wait, whatever. No, no, no. In China, you scan, you're done, that's it, and you move on. It's not only that. For example, uh, if you need an Uber, all you would do uh, is type into WeChat, you know, get Uber or get you know, ZD Chong or, you know, obviously you, you get my example, but it, it will be the equivalent of you typing in a Facebook messenger, get Uber. And like that, you know, there's a thousand app integrations. All of the major apps in China are all integrated into WeChat. And so you use this messenger platform as your way of interacting with your phone. Most uh, people in China and Southeast Asia use uh, messenger apps as a way of interacting uh, with the rest of the software and applications on their phone. That has yet to translate outside of China and Southeast Asia. Uh, this, you know, a couple of years ago, back in 2016, a lot of people thought that it would start to translate into the US and Europe. 
it hasn't really yet. I mean, messenger apps have grown, but not to that scale where almost all of your phone, smartphone interactions are done through a messenger app. Will it happen? I don't know. We'll have to see. I can't uh, predict the future on something like that. It's it's very much just a user experience thing. If the user experience is better, then I believe so. But you know, many think that the user experience isn't necessarily better. Again, we'll have to see. But that's one example of innovation that China has had, and it's more of a question of will it flourish outside of China and Southeast Asia. All right, so now that we've talked a little bit about globalization and we have a clear and expansionist businesses, uh, we have a clear understanding of exactly what I mean when I say that, I wanted to talk about some uh, U.S. companies, big tech companies, that are no longer really innovative and have turned into globalization uh, expansionist companies and have fallen for the success trap uh, like I like I also said in my title uh, the success trap for those of you who don't know it's a common business uh, axiom I guess you could say it, it simply it's just uh, once you reach a level of success from your old innovations then you is you know you it's like resting on your laurels you don't want to continue to innovate and create new products and try to put yourself out of business you just want to maximize on what you've already done and you know suck dry your past innovations for as much profit as possible without trying to create anything new and i don't have a problem with you know creating something and then wanting to expand you know if, if you create something in the u.s market and then you want to expand it globally and maximize your innovation that's totally fine i that's that's great that's the reason you innovated so you can gain a lot of profits from your innovation but you cannot simply have one or two really good innovations and then just stop everything altogether which is very often what happens that's why it's called the success trap you lose the motivation to continue to innovate because you know it's risky there's no guarantee of success meanwhile you've got this cash machine over here from your past innovations that has worked really well so why would i bother with my time and energy and money on this new thing so one company that i believe is no longer innovative and this might be a little controversial i don't know I think it's Google. Um, I don't think Google is an innovative company anymore. Uh, they have some slight innovations here and there, and I'll talk about those in a second. But for the most part, uh, they're not an innovative company. They don't really come with any. They haven't. When was the last time Google came with something that was new? That wasn't just, oh, we're going to compete in this market that a bunch of our other competitors are competing in so that we can, you know, stick our nose in there. Or when was the last time Google came with something that you've never seen before? For me, it hasn't happened in a long time, right? So Google, now I will say, a lot of people say that their search engine was not innovative, that there were already search engines that exist. That's true. There were search engines that existed back in the uh, 90s. Have you ever used them? Have you ever seen them? Uh, you can still see Ask Jeeves, just Google, huh, literally, uh, Google Ask Jeeves, and you can see it. Uh, most of the ones that they were competing with were crap 
quite frankly. Okay, it's all about uh, web crawling and having the best search algorithms. And Google came out with by far when uh, Larry Page created his page rank back in 1999. They had by far the best algorithm out of every search engine company. They had the best user uh, interface, user experience. It was clean. They had no ads on their homepage. They did a lot of innovative things with their search engine that made it much, much, much better than all of the competition. And that's why they were able to win. So yes, they did innovate on that. So don't believe anyone that says, oh, they didn't innovate ever. Uh, you know, they just copied other search engines. No, 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 that's not how it works. You don't just copy another search engine and then wipe out the competition. That's, that's not how things work. But anyways, uh, you know, since then, or I shouldn't say since then, but over the past few years, you know, they really haven't had very much innovation. I'd say the only innovation that they've had is uh, their um, project called Google Loon, um, which is somewhat innovative. If you don't know what that is, I talked about it a couple times. Um, they are taking hot air balloons um, and using it. They're, they're putting... Um, I don't know exactly what they put in the air balloons, but essentially they're using instead of like satellites or uh, big towers, they're taking hot air balloons and putting them up over areas in um, Africa and Southeast Asia that don't have uh, internet or don't have very consistent internet or have very slow internet and um, providing reliable internet for them. So that was unique, you know, using hot air balloons. It's not something you would normally think of. So I would say that was innovative. Obviously, it's still being rolled out. It's not um, a major success yet. We'll have to see if it becomes a success. But I think I think it will work out in places that don't have the infrastructure for internet. I've talked about this before. It's, it's definitely a major cost savings because if you're a small African village that doesn't have internet, uh, and you, you know, companies are not going to want to point a satellite at your village. And they're also definitely not going to want to dig a trench with a, uh, a, a line all the way miles and miles and miles for a little village where people cannot afford to uh, pay back that internet line. So a hot air balloon is a good innovation. Besides that, though, really, what has Google done, right? A lot of people might say, oh, what about Waymo, their self-driving car division? Their self-driving car approach is just not innovative at all. All they do is throw a ton of money at it and hope that it works, right? It's a it's a lazy pseudo innovation. Technically, are they trying to develop new technology? Yes, but in the laziest way possible. They're saying we don't want to uh, do anything that's unique or different. We're just we're Google and we're successful and we have a lot of money, so we're just going to throw billions of dollars at the problem and see if we can make a good product in the space. Meanwhile, many startups have a good chance of actually beating them at the self-driving car game, despite Google deploying billions of dollars. Uh, and that's because the startups have taken in innovative approaches out of necessity and have created better solutions, right? These startups don't have 
the billions of dollars at their disposal like Google does, so they have to take innovative approaches. One example is comma AI. If you want to go to their website, it's comma comma dot AI. Uh, what their approach is, instead of having a mass fleet of cars, because what Google does is they just have bought a ton of Chryslers, and and I know because I live in Phoenix, and they're piloting this. They like in my neighborhood, and they do it in Chandler. I live right outside of Chandler, so uh, they're doing it. Uh, I see their their cars all the time. So they have these Chrysler minivans, and you know they put all their uh, gadgetry on the top and in the back, and all that's necessary to make the cars self-driving, and they just have thousands of them roaming around the streets of phoenix all the time you see them everywhere uh, and that's their solution we're just going to spend a ton of money doing this we're going to pay tons of money to drivers we're going to have huge warehouses we're going to have tons a huge fleet of cars they recently said that they're expanding the fleet of cars all that um and, and i'm not saying that it won't work i'm saying that it's incredibly lazy and it's a it's not a a good allocation of capital or a use of capital it could be much more there there's much more efficient ways to do it than what they're doing and often i've talked about before you know big companies reaction when they want to compete in something is to just throw money at things and that does not always work in fact a lot of times that doesn't work because just throwing a ton of money at something is not going to lead straight to success i talked about verizon about a month ago they shut down uh what's called go 90 most of you have probably never heard of go 90 uh well go 90 was supposed to be verizon's netflix competitor and verizon threw billions of dollars at it trying to compete with them but they completely failed because you can't just throw money at something and expect it to succeed it takes more than that so anyways what startups like comma ai are doing is they're taking a much more innovative approach instead of you know they can't afford to buy a fleet of a thousand or ten thousand cars like Google can, and so they but they still need the data, right? You need the driving data, and so what they're doing is they sell these little modular packs. Um, essentially, it's uh, it's it's GPSs and um, dash uh, like dashboards that help make your car more autonomous. So, for example. If you're on the road on your morning commute on the freeway, uh, you can turn on – you install Comma AI's little system in your car and you can turn it on when you're on the freeway on your commute and it will take over your car for you. As long as you have a car newer than I think 2006 I think is what they said. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, it works. And in exchange, uh, they're, they're putting sensors on your car because obviously that's how it works. That's how it uh, – it functions uh that data is then being sent to uh their hq and they're collecting data and their algorithms are constantly improving and so by spending very little and actually having their own uh customers pay for the development of their algorithms and the further development of their uh self-driving car technology they are able to really progress almost as much as google has uh, they just you really haven't heard of them because they're just a startup but in a few years when they have when their technology is ready to deploy on a mass scale and have fully autonomous driving uh, it'll be a big deal because they might have been able to do it with only a few million dollars and have most of it funded by their customers meanwhile google has by then will have deployed well over 10 billion or more 
and might not even be as advanced. And so that's what I mean when Google is just not innovative anymore. And when they decide to try to be innovative, they just throw money at things. But that doesn't always work, as we've discussed. So Google is one company. Another one, um, Apple. This is one that people have talked about for years, so I'm not going to get too into it. You know, uh, basically the, the, the biggest thing against Apple is since Steve Jobs left, uh, departed, uh, in, in the new Tim Cook era, there hasn't really been new products. I do believe, and I've talked about this before, that they still have a few new products over their sleeves, such as AR glasses that I think they're going to release uh, within two years from now. Uh, but anyways, since then, in the last 10 years, I would say the only innovative product that Apple's come with is the AirPods. I really like AirPods. I have a pair myself. They're great. Um, I'd say they are a significant improvement on what was currently available in the headphone market. But it's not like it's you know a massive innovation, a massive uh, uh, new technology. It was just a improvement on a user, a, a, a large improvement on the user experience. And so um, I agree that Apple really hasn't done too much uh, innovation-wise over the last ten years, right? And and the easy way to figure out if a company's been innovative or not is to ask, uh, right, because they still come with new products every year, right? They come with a new iPhone, new iPad, new Apple Watch every year, but are those products innovative? Well, the easy test is the iPhone 7, right? So the iPhone 7 is a very good phone. The iPhone 10 is a better phone, okay? I have an iPhone 10. It's a very good phone. I would definitely say it's better than the iPhone 7. I like it a lot better than the iPhone 7. Is it a massive improvement on the iPhone 7? I would say no. And here's my litmus test for that. If a startup, okay, a startup were to create the iPhone 10, obviously not called the iPhone 10, but it was exactly what the iPhone 10 is, but release it at the same time that uh, Apple was releasing the iPhone 7. So they were ahead of the game. They were, you know, a year ahead of Apple on their innovations. And so they had the exact iPhone 10, but, you know, with whatever, you know, the, the I'm going to call it uh, the, the, the David Phone 1, okay? And I had my David Phone 1, and it was the exact same thing as the iPhone 10, and I was releasing at the same time as the iPhone 7. Would I be able to compete with Apple? No, because the iPhone 10 is a better phone, but it is not an innovative product. It is an iterative product, okay? It's slightly better. It's not significantly better. And that has been the case for a decade, right? They've just been iteratively getting better, but they've had no major improvements on any of their products in the last decade. And that's been the major concern. And like I said, I think that they will come with uh, AR glasses at some point, and I think that's their big uh, next push. But that's my guess. I don't know for sure. I think there's a ton of evidence and a lot of hints that are pointing to that. I've talked to those about this before, but uh, I don't know yet. And so as far as I can say, no, Apple is, has not been innovative for the last decade um, and that's exactly why. That's kind of the test. Now, an example of a company that does it right, a company that has been very successful because of its past innovations, has continued 
to uh, grow globally, right? Apple and Google, by the way, are focusing most of their energy on growing globally. I've talked a lot about Apple's efforts in China, a lot about their about their efforts in India. Same thing with Google. Um, they're trying to glo grow globally rather than uh, create better things uh, in for the markets that they already dominate, right? So an example of a company that does it well, that's still trying to grow globally, but it's also still innovating on their current products is Amazon, the the, the darling of the business world right now. Um, I've discussed their past ambitions to expand in India and Japan and other markets that they don't currently dominate like they do in the US or Europe. But at the same time, Amazon is constantly coming with new products or services or making vast improvements to their current offerings, right? An example of a new product is they created Alexa a couple of years ago, and they were really the first to market as far as smart speakers go. And they, they were very much the catalyst of this new uh, smart speaker you know, uh, revolution. Again, a good example of Google not being innovative is that Amazon was very successful with Alexa, and Google said, hmm, we should get in on that. And they developed their own Google Home speakers afterwards uh, copying Amazon, another example right there. I just thought I didn't really think about that before. Um, so that's an example of a new product that Amazon has developed. As far as expanding um, their like services or offerings, right? They're, they're making it more convenient all the time as to what you can buy on Amazon. They're expanding it, uh, what you can buy on Amazon and making it more convenient than any method. A big innovation for them was their grocery and home uh, goods offerings, right? A couple of years ago, they set up the recurring subscriptions. So anything that you buy on a recurring basis, like food or, you know, toilet paper or, you know, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you don't, you just simply set up a, a, uh, subscription order with Amazon and you never think about it again. It just shows up on your doorstep. You basically see how much do I use a month? And then, once you, as soon as you start running out, guess what? A box arrives at your door from Amazon saying, here you go, here's your refill. You don't have to think about it again. And they now offer many new services, not just products. They offer made services. They offer um, um, like handyman services. They offer a lot of new services and not just products. And it works just, they're, they're putting Angie's List out of business. Remember Angie's List back in the day, their whole appeal was get trusted uh, handymen or plumbers or whatever you need. Well, Amazon completely put them out of business because now they said, okay, well, we're just going to let people sell their services on our platform too. And there's going to have customer ratings and all of that. So you don't need Angie's List to tell you it's good. You can just see what all the customers are saying about them. So these are examples of how Amazon is continuing to innovate not just try to expand uh, their product globally. Now, the biggest innovation that I've seen from them, or one of the biggest besides Alexa in the past uh, year or so, is what's called Amazon Logistics. I talked about this one time like a few months ago, so I'll talk about it again now real quick. It's that they're 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 even more innovative than ship when it comes to shipping than shipping companies like UPS or FedEx, right? They've created a new program 
called Amazon Logistics, where anyone can start their own mini shipping company and you'll be guaranteed business from Amazon. So small shipping companies aren't really able to compete with the big guys because they don't have customers. It's difficult to get customers in the shipping game because if you're a small company and you're new, you don't have the brand and the trust factor that UPS or FedEx or other big shippers have. And you don't have the volume to compete on price. UPS and FedEx ship millions of packages. So obviously, they in, in a volume game, you can offer lower prices. You can't do either of those things if you're a small company, a small shipper. But with the guarantee of volume from Amazon and the lack of need to acquire customers, because obviously you're going to have a huge customer in Amazon, uh, you can succeed as a small shipper. So for ten dollars to $20,000, you basically need to buy a truck and then maybe pay for a little bit of equipment, right? They provide you with software, all types of stuff to track and uh, set up um, the logistics software you need, the back end that goes into creating a shipping company. They provide all of that for you and they provide you with business, right? They're saying, we're going to guarantee you uh, a certain amount of package volume if you decide to do this. And that's just a huge innovation, right? And so now obviously this is not just Amazon being a charity case. This benefits Amazon too, because what they're doing is they're creating a decentralized system of shippers with lots of competition, right? So that it's not just Amazon or it's not just UPS and FedEx and maybe the post service too. Uh, it's it's thousands of small shipping companies across the nation that will drive down costs via competition and not only that, allow them to offer same day shipping options to almost everywhere in the US because they're going to have a ship their own mini shipping company that they're partners with in pretty much every uh, major city and metro area in the US. So these are just a few examples of how Amazon continues to innovate while also expanding to new ge geographic regions. And, you know, obviously, it's no surprise that Amazon's stock has been continually just going straight up for years now. And, you know, they'll likely be the most valuable company in the world soon. Obviously, Apple still is. But I think probably within a year or two, Amazon will have surpassed them. So it's easy to fall into the globalization slash expansionism trap once you've had your initial success from innovation. But the true test for the coming decade will be two things. One, will the tech giants, right? We're looking at the major tech giants, the Googles, the Apples, the Amazons, the Facebook, um, Microsoft, you know, the major tech companies, will they continue to innovate and use their current success to create new successes in the future? Or will they become expansionist companies? That is going to be very interesting to see in the coming decade. And then two, also in the coming decade, now that China has largely caught up with the US and consumer tech, as far as smartphones and mobile payments and you know they have their own amazon their own uber their own google copies they have all these things that we have uh will the big tech companies of china actually begin to innovate and reverse that flow of technology that i talked about before right instead of the flow of technology 
always going from the U.S. and Europe to China? Will China start creating new innovative tech and selling it to the rest of the world? That is going to be the major uh, thing that I'll be watching. Will these Chinese tech companies actually become innovative? Because up to this point, they have not been, right? Now is when the, the real challenge begins. You can't just copy others anymore. You have to innovate and create new products and solutions if you want to continue to be successful in the now developed Chinese economy. It's kind of like, you know, if you, it's kind of like the kid who cheats his way through middle school and high school and coast by and gets good grades but is you know always copying and cheating and using others and then you get to college and maybe you're able to cheat for the first two years whatever but it's going to get to a point where you're going to have to prove your knowledge and expertise um in your major to your professor or even uh to potential employers or whoever right the day of reckoning is going to come when you actually have to know your uh stuff to put it lightly uh, and that day has come for the Chinese tech companies. So now is the time. Let's see if Baidu and Alibaba and JD.com and uh, all these big tech companies in China that have been very successful money-wise but have provided almost no innovation uh, as far as technology goes. Let's see if they can actually innovate. That's the true test. Anyways, that's my spiel on uh, innovation versus globalization. I think it's a very important concept to understand. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Now let's get into a couple news stories and then we'll wrap this up. It's time for the news. Okay, so not a ton of news, just a couple things. Speaking of Amazon, they actually did hit a kind of a perfect timing for this. Uh, they hit a $1 trillion market cap today, so congratulations to them. It turns out innovation really does work then, huh? Uh, so yeah, congratulations to Amazon. Obviously, a trillion dollars. It's arbitrary, but, you know, difference between $999 billion and a trillion, not much in the real world, but... In, in the minds of the, the fickle human psychology, it means a lot. So congratulations to them. Kudos. And I'm sure uh, it's funny. I saw a Twitter poll the other day. Uh, someone was saying, who will be the first? This is back before Apple hit a trillion. It was who will be the first trillion dollar company. And everyone said Apple because obviously they were so close. Um, it's And then it said who will be the first two trillion dollar company. And overwhelmingly, I think the poll was like 80 plus percent said Amazon. Uh, obviously, it's hard to tell if they will be the first $2 trillion company, but if there is a favorite at this point, it is most certainly Amazon. Anyways, speaking of Apple as well, the only other news story that I wanted to talk about was the iPhone 11. That's what I'm going to call it, the new iPhone that comes out later this year. Um, iPhone 11 leaks came out. It reported that indeed it will come with a gold version, which the iPhone 10 did not. Some people are upset about that. They like the gold. Um, well, you're going to get it in the iPhone 11. And by popular request, Apple is releasing a larger screen version of the iPhone 10. Um, in the iPhone 11. So the iPhone 11 will have a larger screen version. It won't just be uh, one size for everybody like the iPhone 10 was. Nothing really major in these leaks, uh, just you know more options for customers that have been asking for them. 
So that was really it. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening. Again, thank you so much for the support you've given us over the last week. Let's see if we can get back into the top 10 again in the business charts for iTunes. If you did enjoy, like I said, we don't have any ads, just trying to provide value. So if you could share this with someone who you think would also enjoy, I would very, very much appreciate it. And leave us a review on whatever platform uh, you listen to us on. So thank you very much. I will see you next time.